Hi, I'm Zakia Elias, and this is Representation Matters, a conversation around equality, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace podcast series by The Equal Group, bringing you stories, insights, and learnings around optimizing equality, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace. Welcome to another episode of Representation Matters. Today, I'm joined by Ewan Corlett, who is a fully qualified, person-centered, integrative counselor, and also a registered member of the British Association for Counseling and Psychotherapy. As a transformational men's coach and therapist, Ewan has a wealth of experience working with issues predominantly around trauma and addiction. Ewan has a passion for helping others and is currently on a mission to help support young men find direction, heal, and live as their most authentic self. I had the opportunity to catch up with Ewan to find out more about his experiences and have a very open conversation about men's mental health. Let's take a listen to the conversation, which began with me asking, who is Ewan Corlett? Wow. Thank you for that introduction. I mean, who is you and call it? You kind of, you, I can't, I can't, I can't top that. Like, you know, that that's who I am. Yeah, beautifully put. I am a, a qualified counsellor, psychotherapist and men's coach. Um, and I'm very much passionate about helping men heal and step into their full potential. That would be the easiest way to put it, to heal and then step into their full potential and purpose. And that's become my growing passion in recent years yeah and as i've as i've healed more deeply myself that i've really started to to want to focus on specifically working with men yeah realizing that that's where my core gift is really to to be of service there and really in my own struggles um and you know navigating those struggles overcoming them and transcending the pains to to turn those pains into into purpose. I see a lot of young men, I see a lot of men in general, but I see a lot of young men really struggling in the world, um, not really knowing where their place is, not knowing how to be um, a man, you know, whatever that individual defines that to be, right? But really for me, it's just about being, being responsible for oneself, right? Having uh, emotional resilience, and understanding one's own values and what one has to offer to the world and to his fellow man and woman right um and society and i really think that if we can if we can all work together in healing then we can heal the family system and society will evolve so that's kind of my bigger vision is to work with others like yourself to spread that kind of hopeful message that we do heal yeah, thank you for that great introduction. Um, and it's wonderful to have you on the show today. And um, I am very excited because I do follow you on social media and I absolutely love the kind of content that you put out there to really encourage men to be more in touch with their emotions and, you know, just express themselves. I think that it's a very powerful, um, very inspiring message. But, um, you know, I also imagine that being a coach and as a therapist, does require a certain level of self-awareness, uh, knowledge and understanding that you've probably gained through your own lived experiences. Um, and so I guess I want to begin off by asking you about your own story, Ewan, and your background. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Carl Rogers said you can only take someone as far as you've taken yourself. And in the time that I've been a therapist, which is only a short time, I've been practicing five or so years, but qualified for three and a half, four years. Um, in, that, in that time, as I've um, worked more extensively with trauma, realizing that trauma has been the main thing I've been working with, addiction, PTSD, 
disassociation and such, um, that my own um, trauma has required my greater attention. Um, I had to go a lot deeper in the in the um, work that I've been doing as a result of needing to serve my clients um, at that greater level, and I could see my blockages. And my blockages were really all rooted in um, my own childhood traumas. I mean, like, it's really important for me to mention that I had a really difficult birth. Um, and birth, birth is traumatic anyway. You're coming, for, you're coming out of this, this um, safe into this expansive universe. And, you know, it, it is a death and a rebirth in itself. But for me, I, I, they struggled to get me out. So the story goes for my parents. It was very traumatic, very traumatic for my mother. Um, and I had night terrors all through my child and young adult life, like regular night terrors where I would run around screaming. Um, and I was really, really sensitive, highly sensitive, I think, as a result. And it's just in my makeup that I was sensitive. But that sensitivity was a, didn't, didn't play out well for me as a child amongst my peers um, and in adolescence because I, I didn't feel received in that sensitivity. I felt squashed. So I learned to conceal um, those younger parts of myself and very quickly became addicted to cannabis and alcohol and other drugs from a young age um, and lost myself. You know, at the age when you're really finding who you are, um, 11 onwards, um, I was really losing who I was, constantly smoking cannabis and drinking alcohol to numb the emotional pains that existed within me. And I could talk a lot about, you know, how uh, my parents found it hard to hold me in my emotion. I think that that's true. Me, me and my parents are at a stage now in our relationship where we can talk about all of the stuff from from childhood and throughout a whole life without blame or without anger, just with, with love. Um, but really, you know, from my young adulthood um, into my 20s, you know, it was very chaotic, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt that I brought onto others in my addiction to alcohol. And I came into recovery from my addiction of al to alcohol three months before my 30th birthday. So I've been abstinent from drugs and alcohol for just over 10 years now. So 10 years in March, 2000, March 21st. Yeah. So, um, and it was after about five years, five years of four or five years of continuing within the industry. I was working in large format graphics that I started to think like, well, what am I actually doing with my life? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what am I good at? Realized that I'm really good at people with people and that, you know, this desire to help others was present within me. And then I did a, I did a uh, counseling course and you could say the rest is history. And I'm really passionate about now taking what I've learned in my own healing journey alongside the psychotherapeutic work that I do, combining it. And what I feel, what I now realize is that with men, I can potentially, with the, depending on where they're at within their journey, I can provide a very powerful um, coaching experience be transformative for them. But with some men, they are at a stage in depression or addiction where they just need that counselling space, you know. So the needs to the needs um, as were mine throughout time, right? And I've been in therapy since since I came into recovery. So I've been in therapy 
on and off for more than 10 years. And I'm still in, I'm still seeing my counsellor now at the moment, actually, because I'm still working for, through some stuff from the op- I had a operation last year, which was very traumatic and opened up a lot more stuff within me. So I'm still um, exploring the next layer of my work. I think I've given you a, a very rather long answer here, but the the long and the long and the short of it is my own struggles that I've overcome are I feel highly valuable to be able to offer space to be with men who have experienced that. When I say be with, I mean hold space emotionally for, empower within, guide towards, and guide towards their own innate healing process within themselves, to learn to listen to that wisdom that exists within themselves, to hear their authentic voice and to act in alignment with that voice so that they can build an amazing life and contribute to the world. Um, and that's really who I want to work with. I want to work with with heart-centered, what a bit of a cliche, but heart-centered men who, who want to have a sole purpose that is rooted in the good of humanity, right? And that's really what I'm about. Yeah, I do appreciate that response, uh, Ewan. And I think, you know, the fact that you've kind of overcome your own battles and addiction, um, I really appreciate the openness because it is difficult to be vulnerable. But I think it's very true when people say that stories um, are what really move people um, and inspire people, Mm -hmm. kind of the best way to help transform them. So you're right in using your own experiences to help navigate your own clients' journeys. But you mentioned that your practice focuses on helping young men with their mental health. And generally, there's this kind of tendency for, you know, men to kind of suppress their emotions um, compared to women. And, you know, just for their anxiety to go either untreated or just completely unnoticed. And, you know, for them to feel the need to uphold this socially constructed idea of what it means to be, you know, quote unquote, a man. Um, and so I am interested to know you and what role do you think toxic masculinity plays in today's day and age in the way that men not only perceive themselves, um, but then project themselves onto others? Mm. Big question, isn't it? That's a huge <laughs> question. Um, well, we have to start with the boy. We have to start with the boy. What did the boy not receive? What was missing for the boy? How can we speak to the boy within the man and heal the boy uh, was it i'm trying to think who the, where the quote comes from but you know heal the boy and i'll show you the man and it's like how i understand toxic masculinity is the shadows of the bo- of the boy that aren't being acknowledged and healed and worked through that are as you say being projected out into the world in a way that is unhealthy to the individual and to those around them doesn't promote um understanding between people doesn't promote uh love and respect and uh, kindness courage um and is largely self-centered because the boy that didn't get his needs met is largely self-centered because the boy believes that i'm not able to get my needs met therefore i need to attain this 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 because i'm not enough i'm not good enough i'm not worthy of love i need a ferrari because when i have a ferrari then I'll be enough, then I'll be lovable. When I have a, a two, five, ten million, there's never enough dollars, pounds, <laughs> then I'll be enough. Um, and when I have this body, this incredible body, then I'll be enough. Um, then they'll want me, then they'll need me, then they'll love me, right? And the truth is that 
you know, which is my favourite saying is you've always been enough and you always will be enough. And that's been my journey. And if I could give, the, if I could, the greatest, the greatest gift I think that I have to offer the world moving forward is in being able to reach the hearts of men who aren't able to acknowledge or find it hard to acknowledge that deeply rooted within them there is that feeling. Um, and, and we become masters of uh, avoidance, you know, masters of repression and hiding, Ma the master behind the mask, you know, the smile, the I'm okay. Um, so, so yeah, speak to the boy within and, and, you know, it's being able to see through the facade, be able to see through the tough guy bravado. And that's, it can be difficult because, you know, like I said, like the, the, the capacity to, to build that false persona is huge. Uh, and for, 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 for guys, it's like, well, okay, like I I'm not, well, you're telling me I'm not supposed to be that all the bravado, but I'm not supposed to be weak and too effeminate. Where, where's, where's the right, the right line. And I think that's something, that's the thing that young men, I, I feel, are struggling a lot with amongst all the other challenges of uh, what it is to be a young man. And what I would really say is that you get to define what it is for you to be a man. The biggest thing is for me, for, for me has been to be emotionally responsible for myself and to understand how my behavior affects those that I love and how to take care of myself in a healthy and loving way so that I can then take care of those that are in need of my time and attention. And that for me has taken 10 plus years hard work. And I'm still, you know, I'm still learning. Like I'm still, oh, am I still learning? Like I'm, yeah. you know, I have the most incredibly patient woman that, that I love and that loves me who shows me how to, to be the man that I know I can be. Um, and that, you know, that, that has been work and it is work. It, it, it is work. Like we have to, for most of us men, we have to break a little bit. I think we have to, we really have to break those constructs of the, the persona of the boy, of the adolescent, you know, that said, that says, you know, don't come anywhere near me. I'm, I'm so scared to get hurt. I mean, that's really, really what's going on under the under the surface but it's not what it looks like so yeah hopefully that answers your question yeah and I love the fact that you brought up the fact that it is a journey um you know you said yourself that you've been going through this like 10 plus years and I think that's something hugely important because I think there might be this perception that you know say you once you get therapy and you have that recognition that there are some things that you're struggling with that is going to change overnight but it is something mm -hmm. continuous and I don't think there's ever that stage where you reach perfection but i think the journey itself is you know the most important thing yes and that's really important to be realistic with people about how like you say change takes time you know i think that the the modern world is geared up for immediate fix right you know we're all becoming hardwired for our phones the dopamine hits and you know spiritual growth or healing or personal development however you want to phrase it takes time and, you know, it's the capacity for one human being to be fully with another human being in the truth of what they're experiencing with patience. Right? And I think that's what we lacked a lot as men when we were young. We lacked the patience, especially 
of other men or, or of other boys, right? To be patient. And that means to be with the truth of what's being felt without shame. Um, and it, I really do, in the, in the work I'm doing in the men's group that I hold uh, weekly, I'm really seeing men hold space for each other in such a powerful way. And, you know, the walls of shame are, as Brenny Brown said, shame dies in safe places, right? And so us men need safe places where we can feel and feel received in our truth. Um, and gradually watching those walls of shame break down around a man's heart as he steps forward and allows the, the mask to drop and the tears to come, for me, is, is the most amazing thing. It really is, because because that was my experience in in men's yeah. group, uh, you know, and and I got this from a like so I got influenced by America. I'm I I join every man, which is an amazing, and I'm just I'm just feeling into that more at the moment. But um, that was the space um, where I was witnessed by other men and 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 validated in my emotions, so that I could begin to validate myself more in my emotions. And yeah, that's really what I'm saying is that I think you know in order to validate ourselves men actually need to feel validated by other men mm. no i think that's very well said and uh the point you mentioned about patience um i think that's something that really links really well onto what i want to ask you next which is you said yourself you kind of realized later on in your life that you were kind of struggling and you needed that support um, so were there any specific behaviors or you could say habits that led to that recognition um that you realize you were having these kind of repressed emotions and kind of linked to that, any tips to help listeners perhaps recognize that within themselves? Yeah, I mean, so my addiction was the greatest suppression um, that prevented me from, that I was preventing myself from feeling, you know, from, from um, connecting to the painful parts. It felt, it felt like too much. And I felt alone with that. So I mean, I think the, the biggest message that I want to say is to the man that feels alone in his head, trapped in his head, that's, that's the biggest thing, trapped with one's thoughts, feeling like it's not okay to say what you're thinking or feeling. We need to, we need to, we need to kick that belief to the curb, right? That's the biggest thing. Like, to all men who are listening, find a space where you can feel heard by other men. Right. And there are lots of them. It's growing and it's growing and it's growing, you know. Um, so, yeah, overthinking is massive, you know, for, was for me, you know, overthinking still is now still is now. Like, you know, I have to do my daily meditation practice, my yoga, my breathing that helps me set up for the day. But if I don't do those things, I can quickly disappear back into my mind. Um, so. The, the most the biggest thing is like to what degree are you trapped in your thoughts what aren't you sharing that you need to share um one of the biggest areas that i began to realize that i needed additional help was as a result of my relationship like snapping i think that's a big thing for men anger really all that is is saying oh, like i'm hurting underneath and i don't know how to articulate that or to be with the boy and I think that's the biggest thing. I don't know how to be with the boy within me. The boy comes up and, and hijacks everything. He wants to throw a tantrum. Like, you know, really what's happening when snapping is like, well, nobody loves me. I'm unlovable. No one's here for me. 
you know, no, so so I'm going to push you all away. I'm going to snap and push you away. And then when you leave me, I'm going to feel sorry for myself because I've affirmed the fact that I'm not loved and no one's there for me and I'm all alone. So if you snap at your partner or anyone and you know that's not how you want to show up in life, then that's a clear sign that you maybe need to go and get some support. Go and have a conversation with Firstly, a friend. Secondly, a professional or join a group. Um, so, yeah, anger management, overwhelm, which manifests in over, overthinking, which manifests in tension in the body. You know, if you're experiencing um, tightness, heaviness, whatever your body is feeling is your body is speaking to you. And that was that was in response to your question. That is what also led me to to realize ah, i need more help here now i need to get into the somatic work more mm. i need to understand that my body is holding the emo my emotion and that because i was so conditioned to live in my mind as a man that like it's not okay to feel became disassociated from my body so a lot of the help that i've been receiving in the last year or so has been about getting back into my body and that's one of the core areas that I work with it, with men is getting back in touch with their body, you know, connecting with the parts of their body where they're holding repressed emotion. They can be with that part of themselves because I really think about the body as, and this is maybe a bit abstract for the for the mainstream, that part, we hold parts of ourselves within our body, i.e., you know, there are trapped emotions from certain times in our life that get stuck in parts of our body. And one of one of the things that for me that's been core about this is like my inner child, like my inner infant, very much in my tummy. So like I find myself um, in in recent, and this is fairly recent times, if I'm having feelings of insecurity, of worry, that I just find myself just sort of stroking my tummy, and this mm -hmm. is a kind of self-soothing. So so really, what I'm saying is to pay attention to what your body is saying uh, to be able to listen um, and then act in, in accordance with what the message is. That's a really interesting point that you brought up. Um, you know, whilst you're speaking, it was just making me kind of reflect on my own actions and responses. And, you know, I've noticed that, you know, when I am feeling worried or Know, a bit anxious about something I'll, I, I will have this tendency to pat myself on one of my shoulders um, and I guess you know you've explained it you know that's a kind of self-soothing action yeah your body naturally soothing yourself right yeah. naturally going to that yeah and this is what we're what I'm saying like the body wisdom you know our body knows what we need but if we're not listening and we're too stuck in our minds then we 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 distrust the body wisdom because well, I think I have to do this, or I think this is what's needed. I think that, you know, and we are very much a thinking society, right? Um, but we need to become more of a feeling society. And this is what's exciting, because, like, um, I, I truly believe we're, this, this is the, let's call it a renaissance uh, that we're moving into. Like, we're moving into our hearts more. For You know, and I speak for, like... I think for like my perspective is that, that that you know women are celebrated in their feeling more not in all cases right but I think it's it's very much the feminine to be in flow and to be in emotion um, whereas it's considered unmasculine to to be in that and uh, yeah. 
the the new age is that we have masculine and feminine energies within all of us and it's about living in balance of both of those exactly and you know you are correct um especially in saying that if men are more in touch with their emotions or are seen as more vulnerable then they are you know perceived to be much more weaker or shameful um as she said earlier um and so this does lead nicely on to what i want to ask you next which is a bit about what you said before that it's a lot of younger men that are kind of reaching out to you or that are coming to you um to seek help um and some, i'm just curious to know then you know, do you have to kind of frame your practice differently to kind of successfully encourage young men to either engage in therapy or get help? And, you know, if so, you know, how do you frame it differently? Yeah, great question. And, and it, this is this is uh, this has been evolving for me in the last year of like, who am I really best suited to be helping at the moment? And I did launch out on a on a path of trying to reach the young man. I found it I found it tricky, to be honest with you, because I think that from a generational perspective, um, you know, say that take take the 20, I'm 40 now, so take the 20. Well, I was 20 uh, when they were born, right? And and it was like, okay, so the world from their childhood to my child has changed so much. So really what I'm leaning into here is saying that when I talk about young men, I'm, I'm acknowledging that that young man could be 40, right? Um, because the the young man within him hasn't fully developed, mm. he hasn't reached the younger parts of himself. Um, and I think what I've realised in recent months is that I'm more suited, or I find it easier to reach the guy who's in his 30s or his early 40s, because I was trying to reach the guy in his early 20s, and what was reaching them, but there are com the complexities of what those young men face so many areas uh, I'm finding it harder to speak to and what I see is a lot of younger men in their mid to late 20s speaking to the thing that those young men um, are in need of so I'm now and uh, you know I say that but I'm still attracting guys in their early 20s to my group programs and everything so I kind of I I, I created this young men evolution concept, which I've kind of put to one side for the minute because I've realized I don't have enough energy to give to everything, but I will pick back up again moving forward. But I'm attracting guys now who are in their 30s and their 20s and kind of really putting age to one side and thinking, right, okay, what about like just, and so this has always been evolving for me, right? It, it, like, let's put age to one side because the young learn from the old and the old uh, learn from the young, right? And like, let's put age, because there's a whole ageism thing, as I realized that this within myself, like, oh yeah, you're young, so that means that you belong in this box, and, and you're old, so you belong in this box, and it's like, no, 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 <laughs> let's, let's, that's part of what I believe what is wrong with the world, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. don't listen to young people, right? We need to listen to young people. Young people are the people who change the world. And the only reason I feel for in many regards that we haven't reached where we're capable of reaching as a, as, as a um, loving race is because we haven't given enough space to young people to feel heard by older people. Because, well, I'm in my 40s now, so I know it all, don't I? Yeah. And I, and I I've, got, I've got all the answers. Well, if that was the case, I think, you know, we would have sorted our issues out a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so um, 
in answer to your question, I, you know, this is quite freeing to actually share it um, in this setting because it's like, okay, I can work with whoever whoever feels resonant resonance to the message I put out, and I don't have to go well. I work with this sector, this sector. Mm. So like if someone feels that they feel drawn to me, then I'm open. Let's have a conversation, you know, and hopefully I might be able to help or I can point you in a direction that may be more suited. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that you're right. Age is another, what is it, like another barrier that kind of separates people as well unnecessarily. And in the end, we are all human. So as you said, whatever the message is, if someone connects with that, that that should kind of be the force that brings um, them together. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, no, I just found that really, really interesting because I feel like it's really refreshing to hear. You don't really hear that often. I'm a huge fan of intergenerational learning. And I, I do truly believe that if we do invest you know, more time into it, um, you know, it will be a huge benefit to our society. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, with, with a child, you know, there's the, the innocence of truth with a child, right? Children teach us if only we would listen, right? They tell us the truth. Yeah, if, imagine that. Imagine if we could just really hear and hold space for, for children and young people, nourish and nurture them. They're the leaders. They are the leaders of us. Like, I think how much I've learned from, like, kids in their who are five, six, seven, when they've just spoken love, we're just pure and it's like wow i can i get to connect with my heart that i had built walls around and it's like let's stop and i'm kind of going off piece here but let's stop teaching young boys and girls to build walls around their hearts do you know what i mean no definitely it, that, that does make me think like especially at school more needs to be done around emotional intelligence you know, that's a you know a big word that's coming up a lot nowadays but it's something that's from like say primary school age it's something that's not taught to young children especially young young boys like that's something that they probably don't consider at all so i know that is another whole conversation for, for another yeah, day because yeah, um, yeah. i could talk about that for ages as well um but no you did make a good point earlier about the need to kind of change like it's the culture that needs to change and um society and you know from what i've kind of observed around me is that particularly in you know black and asian communities there's such a huge stigma around you know men uh, talking about men, mental health um, and then just receiving support so um, I'm just curious to know uh, how would you go about challenging these culturally conditioned beliefs and just creating that change and adding to that how can people like myself and those who will be listening contribute to that change as well wow what a question um, so in order to answer that question first I have to acknowledge that I'm a white male um, and, uh, you know, I've been conditioned in empire, really, right? I mean, I have to be real with myself about the fact that I was a 90s kid. And um, in the 90s, we were still living, I mean, the days of Stephen Lawrence, right? We were still in a heavily oppressive um, racial institution. Um, and we were just talking about this before, prior to, briefly prior to coming on, right? And that that these, these, I don't feel like these need to be uncomfortable conversations. I feel that we need to acknowledge the truth of the past. And this is, this is something I hear, I hear said a lot in relation to war, for example. We need to acknowledge the, the, the truth of the past so that we don't repeat the mistakes. But for some reason, we find it very, very difficult to explore collectively, I think, 
and I speak from a white perspective, largely white perspective, uh, the issue of race and diversity and what mm. the experience is for the black or Asian person in society. And that we find it difficult to hear that because I believe as a white person, it reminds us of our unconscious shame and our un unconscious racism that has been conditioned um, through the generations. And in order to break into order to break that pattern, we need to be willing to have what are uncomfortable conversations for a lot of white people. But um, we need to get used to feeling uncomfortable, right? And I'm not sure if I'm talking to your question here, but I think from a perspective of like, I don't want my men's groups to be purely white groups. Mm -hmm. And they're yeah. not. Interestingly, as a result, they're not. I have black men, I have Asian men in my groups because that is a representation of the society that we live in and not just the UK, worldwide. And I feel like I personally want to make spaces safe where, say, a black man can express his experiences of racism, feel held by, by white men, by Asian men, by whoever, that, that, we should, that we can learn to hold other people's experiences even even though they may be so different to our own and that they may trigger a lot of our own um, feelings of shame, but that we can actually have the courage to say, I feel ashamed about what you're, you know, that, that you've had those experiences growing up, that in some way I feel complicit to those experiences because I'm a white British male. And that's been my own experience, right? In, in understanding understanding that truth and what that truth means and, and how that means that I understand so little of say the black or Asian experience within predominantly white society and a society that's been constructed racially over the years, right? Through the slave trade. I mean, like these are things that I'm gonna, I was nearly, was nearly gonna swear then, but <laughs> things that, that uh, infuriate me because we are living in a time of Brexit, which I saw as a nationalistic, patriarchal re-stamping of authority and a real kick in the teeth for people from black and Asian communities who have built this country. I mean, let's be real about it, have built this country. So I feel myself getting a bit emotional talking about it because it's like, well, how, how can we be so ignorant? Um, and I just think this shows the power of, I've kind of gone off on a tangent here. This is probably like, besides men's mental health, my favorite topic to talk about. My, my, my partner is of uh, Caribbean heritage. Um, and she's always saying, you're talking about race again. Would you stop talking about race? Um, and like the la large part of that is because I have had to deconstruct my own unconscious racism. I've had to make the unconscious conscious to free myself. And, you know, Carl Jung said, you know, you, until you make the unconscious conscious, you're destined to live it out and call it fate. And it's like, well, until we as a collective are able to, to sit with these uncomfortable truths of our past, we are destined to recreate it. And mm. unfortunately, a lot of the powers that be in our society want to continue that narrative. And I just see that as, as um, fear, really. They're, af they're afraid of what's coming. Right. They're afraid of the power of the black race, of the Asian race. And, you know, I think like I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, I'm probably going to get a lot of um, 
interesting comments off the back of this, but I really don't care, to be quite honest. Like, what are we here for? We're here to heal collectively. No matter what your race, creed, colour, whatever, we're here to heal and to be what the other, the other man, the other woman needs. But first of all, we have to learn to be that for ourselves, right? We have to learn to hold space for ourselves. And in order to do that, we need the support of others. Um, we need to learn to ask for help. And we need to learn to have the humility to say, I don't know, can you help me? And, you know, in answer to your question about certain segments of society, my, my limited understanding is that, well, for, for black people, let's say, coming over in Windrush, where they weren't accepted, where they were, um, I mean, it's, you know, I don't want to go too much into that, but I mean, my God, like, would you trust this society to ask for help, to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and open yourself up? I doubt I would. So I think it makes sense to me that the black community would be more insular and, and less inclined to trust the wider world uh, and have those conversations within their own community as opposed to, you know, opening up. But I see that changing because there's loads of incredible black therapists now and we need more and more of them and coaches, more and more and more of that. Um, and that's not championed enough. And that's not... Um, the BACP had a, we, there was a, fem, a black female, um, uh, I think she the, she the director? I believe she's the director. So we're seeing, we're seeing people of colour in more important positions, which, which is great, for, great to see from my end. But um, I'm not sure if I answered your question, because I kind of think that's a topic that I kind of go off on a, on, a, on a bit of a mad one on. No, no, honestly, you like, you've made so many brilliant points that I actually don't know where to begin myself. Um, but I think I'm just going to highlight the, like, the main thing that you said is just these uncomfortable conversations, because it is those conversations that essentially lead to progress, however difficult it may be. And that's whether at home, you know, done it in a therapy session in the workplace wherever, but it is that that kind of leads to change and progress as a starting step. And, you know, you mentioned things about like accepting the fact that, you know, you need to, you're struggling yourself. That's kind of one thing that we've already mentioned. But then something else that I thought about is when it comes to like those around you, so your family, your friends, partners. So in terms of, you know, being a good support network for others, um, you know, what does, what does that look like? And, what do you think is, you know, the best way to deal with someone who perhaps is struggling at the moment? Yeah, being a good support network to others and, and, and learning to to help someone who's struggling it can be really difficult um, to see and identify to identify when someone's struggling, especially especially with men. I think that the greatest thing that we can do for one another is to learn to listen to empathically aim to understand another because we, we can become very wrapped up in our own world. And, you know, I'm at an advantage with that in the work I do. Um, however, transitioning that work, that advantage into my personal life has been more challenging, like to, to, to hold space for the ones that I love without pushing my own agenda. Um, has been challenging. But that's the, the biggest thing I can say in answer to your question, is to hold space for others. But in order to hold space for others, we have to learn to hold space for ourselves. 
and holding space for ourselves for me has come with others holding space for me um so the greatest thing that i would say to any person is that you are worthy of having someone just hold space for you and if that means a professional that you pay then please give yourself that gift there's mm -hmm. nothing greater that i've invested my money in ever than therapy and coaching transform my life i've spent thousands on therapy and coaching and i wouldn't be who i am today and i like me today i you know i'm growing to love me and that's like from a completely non-egotistical or self-centered space that's like okay yeah i can accept myself and the reason that i can fully accept myself is because of those people that held space for me unconditionally so reach out for space honor that you may need that space and that there's no shame in asking for that it's the most normal thing for a human being to to need is another another to hold a compassionate space and and you know trying to spot when another is suffering you know trusting your gut trusting your intuition when this person says they're fine my just feeling is that they're not trust that and and in that step into more space for that person let them know that you're there don't force them just let them know that you know i i hear that you're saying you're right but my gut feeling is that you're not and i just want you to know if you need a friend if you need someone to just listen and be with then i'm there but i think i do i do think that's one of the, the greatest challenges for us as individuals is just being with another person because if we can't be with ourselves then then we're going to find it very hard to be with another yeah know? definitely and and for, for parents right that's a massive thing, right? How, to what extent can you be with yourself? Because the extent to which you can be with yourself is the extent to which you can be with your child. And that's going to create so much for, for them. So <clears throat> a little caveat to parents. I'm not a parent yet. <laughs> but like, I could, can, I, can I say this? I think I, I want to say this. Like, give time to yourself and to your partner in, in equanimity so that you can really be with your child to the degree that they need. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is such a wonderful, wonderful point. Um, because that does link into kind of what I was just thinking about, like this whole blame game when it's it's not needed. Mm -hmm. Where it's like you, someone probably if they're struggling with something at the moment, and then they've got a partner or a friend or family who kind of feels that, then that person may think it's them that's an issue when it's not. It's an ex internal issue, not an external yeah. issue. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's that's huge, right? That's absolutely huge. Pro the yeah. projection. The projection that goes on in relationship yeah like whenever we're blaming we're not owning going on within ourselves right we're so easy to look at out outward and, and 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 blame others and you know we just see that in our society right people what what's mine and what's yours and that can be yeah yeah and that we could write a whole book on that yeah definitely agree with you there but, um, you know, we are reaching towards the end of the podcast now, Ewan. But before coming to a close, um, I do have a final question for you. It is a fun one, but also a very tricky one for most of our guests, too. So if there's one thing that you'd like to be remembered for, what would that be? Um, one thing that I could be remembered for, what would that be? Ah, oh, 
still going to sound well cheesy. I don't care. My loving heart. No, I love that. No, I definitely, I think that, you know, the audience that are listening, they can definitely feel your passion just from this conversation that we've had, which is probably what under an hour. But no, definitely, I think what you're doing is an amazing job. And, you know, something that really stood out for me throughout the whole time you're speaking is when you said you are worthy, just just repeating that, you know, kind of like, it's like a mantra to yourself and, you know, yeah. other people. No, I really do like that. Um, but I do just want to say thank you so much, you know, and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, and I really do appreciate the stories and, and experiences that you've shared with us. Um, for me, it's been a very perceptive discussion and I'm sure a lot of listeners would agree and have a lot to take away from today's conversation. Um, and I was just thinking if listeners do want to kind of reach out to you, is there anywhere they can get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm quite active on my social media, Instagram, uh, Ewan underscore Corlett. Um, you can send me an email at counsellingwithewan at gmail.com or um, yeah, just reach out to me just reach out to me on the on Instagram for if you want to ask me any questions you're interested in the men's group that I offer um yeah again reach out to me uh, via there uh and yeah I'll I'll support in any way I can and if um if you're interested in collaborating with me in any way and resonate with with what I've said um always open to that yeah always open to that I'm really at this stage in my career where I want to build more um, fruitful relationships so we can reach more people um, and just learning how to do that because I've always been a bit of a lone wolf so so yeah if you if you want to connect in any way whatsoever I'd love to hear from you brilliant and I will include all of you on details in the description of the podcast um, so all of you listeners can access them easily but no once again thank you so much and I do wish you all the best for the future yeah thank you Zakia thanks so much for listening today Wherever you're tuning in from, would love to hear from you. What were your learnings from today's conversation? Is there anything you'd like to add? Let us know using the hashtag TEG podcast on Twitter, or you can reach out to us anytime via contact at theequalgroup.com. And in the meantime, head on over to our website, theequalgroup.com, for more insights and articles around equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Why not join our mailing list to be the first to get updates on all the latest EDI news as well as our free monthly EDI training webinars. And finally, to stay tuned for more podcast interviews coming up soon, make sure you are following us at The Equal Group on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, everyone.